Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Are you sure? Everybody doing all right? Anybody glad you came to church? Can we give our worship band just a big hand clap? Aren't they amazing? Man, uh, welcome to Renew Life Church. My name is Keith, and uh, I'm the pastor here. I just want to welcome you here. Really glad you're here if you're our first-time guest. Man, just make yourself at home and, uh, and just, just kind of enjoy being around the body today. We are in a, a little series called Made to Rain, and uh, this is something we've been preaching for the last two weeks, and today we're going to kind of continue on in this message and in this idea and maybe jump off into a, a subject that... Uh, that I'm pretty passionate about. Before we get going too far today, let's read, let's read the Bible. Anybody like the Bible? The Bible's good. The best thing you'll hear come out of my mouth today is what I'm about to read, all right? Romans chapter 5. Open up to Romans chapter 5. This is Paul talking to the Romans. He is, we are going to read about um, the difference between Adam and Jesus. This is what Paul is actually referring to. This, this will make more sense once we dive in. Here he says in verse 17, he says, For if because of one man's trespass, that being Adam, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't get one amen, so it must mean y'all didn't get it, so I'm going to read it again, all right? Because of one man's trespass, what is Paul saying here? So because of, because of the, the one sin that Adam had, <clears throat> interesting that doesn't even mention Eve here. So ladies, you always get the bad rap, not here in Romans. Adam's getting the bad rap, right? And he says, because of this one man's disobedience, because of his one man, this one man's trespass, death reigned in this world. But because of Jesus, because of the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, guess what? Death doesn't reign anymore. We reign. Amen. Death doesn't reign anymore. Believers reign in this life. It goes on in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. Come on, you're justified today. In life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I've said this a couple of times through this series. We cannot have more faith in Adam's disobedience than Jesus' obedience. Yes, our experience may point to the fact that we're sinners. Yes, our experience may point to the fact that we struggle. Yes, our experience may point to the fact that we live in a fallen world and there's a lot of crap that we go through. However, there's a greater reality to that. That is true, except there's a greater reality and his name is Jesus. There's a greater reality and it says because of the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteous, you have the favor of God on your life. You are in right standing with God and that this is what that equals. It equals you reigning in life. You get to reign in life because of Jesus. You get to win in every single area of life. You get to overcome every single area of your life. It means that you, you are destined to have great marriages, that you're destined to live in joy and in fulfillment, that, that you actually have the ability to do a good job raising your kids. 
that you're not destined to live in lack, poverty, not enough. Why? Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did. There's a statement that we've been grabbing a hold of as a, as a body and as a community. And I, I want this statement to really, I want it to consume your mind. That's really what I want it to do. Because I believe if you'll begin to think this way, if you'll begin to, to feel this way, you'll begin to approach life in a way that you've never approached it before. And here's the one statement I want you to be living by for the next couple of weeks. The statement's very simple. I am made to reign. I want you just to say that. Say, I am made to reign. Come on, let's say it again. Say, I am made to reign. You are made to reign. Not, every time I say that, I'm like, make it rain. It's a bad movie. You shouldn't watch it, okay? But I'm made to reign. You, you, are, you are destined. You need to hear this today. You're destined to reign. Paul did not say, he, he didn't say this. You're made to reign in your spiritual walk with God. You're made to reign in a couple areas of your life. No, what he said is, you are made to reign in life. That means every area. You're made to reign. Which also tells me this. You are not destined to be unsuccessful. You are not destined in this life to live depressed. You're not destined in this life to live in fear. You're not destined in this life to always worry because, you know, if you worry, it means you care. Lie. Jesus said, don't worry about anything. You are not destined to live a life of worry. Now hear me today. I, I understand we walk through stuff. I understand that we, there are seasons where it's tough and there are trials that we go through. But hear me today. The end goal, the, the rest of your life is not meant to spend, be spent in fear and anxiety and in lack. No, because you are destined to actually reign. You're destined to live in joy. You're destined to live fulfilled. You're destined to live satisfied. You're destined to have great influence, not just a little bit. You're made to reign. Look at your neighbor and say, you're made to reign. And if that isn't good enough news, which that's pretty dang good news, you want to know how you actually begin to do it? Real simple. Paul said, you reign in life by one thing, receiving. I want everyone just to put their hands out like this. We did this last week. It was so powerful to me. Just keep your hands out right here. This is what he said. He said, you want to reign in life? It starts right here. You receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. You want to know how you start to reign in life? Begin to receive his favor. You know what grace is? Grace is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. He didn't just give you grace. He gave you an abundance of it. Why did, why did Jesus give us, give us an abundance of grace? Because we mess up a lot. And where sin abounds, that much more does what abound? Grace. You say, man, pastor, you don't know. I got a lot of sin in my life. Well, guess what? That just means you got a lot more grace. You, <laughs> the neighbor next to you may not need as much grace as you do, but you, got, you get as much as you need. 
See, we, we actually begin to reign not by working with our hands, but by receiving. We receive his favor and then we receive our righteousness. What is righteousness? You know what righteousness is? It means that you're in right standing with God. You're forgiven. You're pure. You're holy. When you show up in your prayer time before God, guess what? He does not see your sin. If you believe in Jesus, he doesn't see it. You know what he sees? He sees the blood of Jesus. He actually sees you as a son. He actually sees you as a daughter. You want to begin to reign in your life in every single area of your life? You better start believing this. You know what produces success in your life? When you believe you got it together. When you believe you're a son. When you believe you're a daughter. When you believe I'm an heir to the most high God. We don't walk around. Sorry, I'm just going to preach this message all over again. As believers, we're not called to walk around with our head down feeling sorry for ourselves. Because you know what my Bible tells me? It doesn't matter where I came from. It doesn't matter what race I am. It doesn't matter how much money my parents had. It doesn't matter what they, how much they, they didn't have. It doesn't matter what I had to go through in life. Yeah, God is very understanding of that. But guess what? None of that matters because as a believer, you receive an inheritance from him. We'll just let that one just kind of sit right there for a little bit. Let's get rid of every single lie that would tell us otherwise. You don't know, Pastor, it's hard for me. I'm, I grew up a pastor's kid. You're destined to reign. Well, I had, man, I was abused when I was younger. That's sad. I believe for healing to come to your life. But hear me today, you're destined to reign too. You're made to reign too. There ain't nothing holding you back today from reigning in this life in every single area. Well, I don't have the greatest job. I don't care. Prosperity's coming your way. You're not your provider. He is. Come on. What do you believe? What do you believe? Because what you believe matters. What you believe will produce the results you're looking for in life. Amen. Paul said you reign in life by receiving the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Now, as the Lord began to show me this revelation, I began to kind of just let it get on, down on the inside of me. I began to ask God some questions like, all right, all right, Lord, what does this actually look like in my life? All right, I'm called to reign. I'm called to win. Yes, I get it. What does it look like though? I don't know if you've ever asked God questions before, but he loves, you see this all throughout scripture, he loves to just respond with another question. And sometimes, like in this instance, he'll just repeat what I said. Lord, what does this look like? I don't know, what does it look like? <laughs> Lord, how do, I, how do I do this? I don't know, Keith, how do you do it? Like, no, no, you're the one that has the answers, not me. But he hit me with this question that really opened up this concept. And, he, and I felt like the Lord asked me this. He said, if you could pick one area in your, in your life to reign in, what would you pick? T give me the top three, Keith. If you could pick the top three areas in your life that you want to reign, what would you pick? And I want to ask the question to you today. If you could pick three areas to reign in life, what would you pick? I want you to think about that this morning a little bit.
As I began to ponder that question, I came up with three things. I said, Lord, I want to have a great marriage. I want to do a good job raising my kids. And I want to reign financially. I want to do a good job. I want to have a great marriage. I want to have a great relationship with my kids, watch them grow up, follow you, set them on the path, do all the, 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 the right stuff with my kids, and I want to reign financially. If you've been around us very long, you realize we, we hold in high esteem our marriages, our parenting, and our finances. We believe that they are almost, in, in a lot of ways, pillars to everyone's life. Now, you might have thought of something different today. You might have picked something different. You might not even be married, so you're like, well, that one don't apply to me. I get it. I want, you to, I want you just to think about this for just a second. What would your life look like if you reigned in your marriage, you reigned in your parenting, and you reigned in your finances? Imagine what life would be like. I'll help you. Amazing. It would be amazing. Guess what? It's available. Today I actually want to take this, this idea about reigning in life, and I, I want to apply it to the very first one I mentioned to you. I want to talk about reigning in your marriage. If you're married today, this will hit home. If you are not married yet, you're about to become the sexiest person alive that has all the information, all the godly things. You're going to have all the strategies, all the wisdoms. You are ready for that, that spouse. Lord, you've been waiting for me to get ready. You're getting ready right now. If you are a kid, just leave. Just leave. If you're a kid, just get on out of here. All right. All right. We're going to talk about reigning in our marriage. Let's just pray for a second. Jesus, we need your help. We need your help in this talk today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead us, to guide us. I just pray for the marriages right now today that you just help us, God. That you'd strengthen the marriages. That you'd, that you'd prepare the, the single people in here today that are looking. That you'd, that you'd prepare the ones that are engaged in this house today. We desire to reign in our marriages. And we know that you're the one who can help us do it. Yeah, we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. 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 As we're, since we're talking about marriage today, raise your hand if you're married. All right, the majority of you. All right, um, anybody ever been in a fight before? Never? Never been in a, anybody ever been in more than one? Anybody been in more than one on your way to church today? <laughs> I appreciate your transparency. <clears throat> you know, I, I want, as, we're, as, we, as I talk about marriage today, I, I really want to just start off. Just, I, I'll never forget our, me and Natalie's first fight. And I, th we may have, I think we were engaged. We for sure weren't married yet. And I was 21, she was 22, we were still in college. We were at my house with all the dudes I was living, living with. She was sitting on the couch next to me, and we were, we, were, we were watching one of the best shows ever created, Sports Center. And we were sitting there watching, and the top 10 came on. And during the top 10, Natalie starts trying to talk to me. You can see where this is headed. And she's trying to have this conversation with me, but let me know, this is our first fight ever. We had never fought before. And she's, she's, she's talking, she's talking, and, and ladies, just forgive me. I'm just trying to tell you how the story, what was happening with me. I'm sitting there watching the top 10, and all I can hear is just this noise happening beside me. 
And she kept trying to get my attention, trying to get my attention. She's getting mad already. And she's getting my attention. We're going to argue again after this. And I'm like, and I, I did not mean it to come out this way, but here she was beside me. And I practically went, hey, would you just stop? It's the top 10, not during the top 10. And then I turned back to the television screen. Just a word of advice. Don't do that. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I still kind of stand like 50%. I still believe is good marriage advice. Ladies, don't talk to us when we're watching the top 10. It'll be over in like 30 seconds. Give us those 30 seconds. Hey, <laughs> did y'all hear that? She's like, and then it comes on again. That doesn't matter. Well, well, we will watch the next time like we've never seen it. Oh my, did you see that? It's like, it just is a thing, all right? But I tell you that story simply, not, not some great concept here. You just need to understand this. Marriage is hard. You know what happens in marriage? We argue. You know what happens in marriage? We annoy the crap out of each other. We are annoying. We frustrate one another. Oh, but there's amazing times too. There's, there's big highs and really low lows. In marriage, guess what happens? We disappoint one another. We don't always agree. We have difference of, differences of opinions. We, we, we go through things individually that affect the marriage. We go through things together that affect the marriage. You want to know the biggest thing that'll affect your marriage? Start having kids. And your whole marriage, it, it, it changes. When you think about this, your, your marriage, it, it, you get hurt the most in your marriage. You have the highest highs, you have the lowest lows. It changes. You get disappointed. Marriage can literally be the best thing in the world and it can be the worst thing in the world. And if you're sitting here today married and you would agree with that statement, I need you to hear me real clearly. You're normal. You are normal. I think one of the biggest lies the enemy tries to convince us of is that those people over there know, what, know how to have a good marriage. We don't. I wish we could get to Wish we could get to them. I wish we could look like, do you see the vacation they went on? Their whole family looked so happy. Guess what? They weren't. <laughs> they had to take a picture. Every man that has ever taken a picture is ticked off. The wives, wives trying to get everybody together, it's pure chaos. They smile, go right back to fighting. It was miserable in that moment that you saw. Like you need to understand what marriage really is. Because when you get past the puppy love stage, guess what? It gets into to making a choice to love your spouse. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. And I believe the life of a marriage in God can be amazing. It doesn't just have to be a choice that's just so dry and no emotions. No, it can be, it can be good. It can be great. But let's just understand this about marriage. It's a relationship, the most important one. But just like any other relationship, it will have its challenges. And so I, the, the reason I bring that up is not to bring you down. But I want to ask you today, what do you actually believe about your marriage? 
before I give you any practical advice, any, any tools to help your marriage, I want to ask you this one question. What do you believe about it? What do you believe about your marriage? What do you believe about yourself as a spouse? What do you believe about your spouse? What do you believe about your marriage in general? Do you believe you have a strong one? Do you believe you have a godly one? Do you believe that you're a power couple? Do you believe that you can have influence? Do you believe that your marriage can be successful and be fulfilling? Do you believe that your marriage can bring joy to your life? What do you believe? Because there's a lot of junk that happens in our life and the enemy would love nothing more than for you to believe that you have an unsuccessful marriage. He would love nothing more than to bring up all your mistakes and say, this is your marriage. Can I just say this as a spouse? Don't, don't use mistakes against your spouse because Jesus doesn't. What do we believe? Because what you believe your marriage is, is the start to your marriage becoming that very thing. Isn't this what we've been studying? Isn't this what being, being made to reign is all about? Being made to reign, you don't reign in life by getting all the wisdom and doing all the things and making it, getting all the wisdoms and strategies and you're, you're, you're accomplishing every single little thing perfectly. That will give you a result. It's just called the law. It's just called religion. The real way you reign in life is by receiving. How do you receive? You receive by believing. Reigning in life looks like you believing you already do, even when you're not. You say, that sounds super fake. It's not fake, it's faith. Faith believes we're righteous before we have righteous actions. You want to start having righteous actions in your marriage? Start believing you're righteous. Come on, am I preaching to anybody today? This is where it starts with your belief. What do you believe about your marriage? Let's jump into Ephesians chapter five. This is a, your go-to scripture for, for the married life, what you should do as a wife, what you should do as a husband. <clears throat> and as we read this today, I don't just want you to hear it through, through the context of what you should do. I actually want you to read it not only with, with the context of what you should do, but in the context of what you should believe. Who you believe you can actually be. Paul said this in Roman, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. He said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now what's interesting is, is wives, you got three verses. Husbands, you get the rest because we need that much more help than, we, than the wives do, all right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ as a church. Skipping down to verse 33, this is kind of the, the summary of these verses. It says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Scripturally, this is what you are called to do as a wife and this is what you are called to do as a husband. 
Now, I'm not sure if you read that the way that I read it, but that's pretty high standards, don't you think? I mean, guys, think about this. We don't just need to love our wives. We need to love them like Christ loved the church. I read that, and I'm like, Jesus, could you, could you have lowered the standard just a tad? Like, really? I said, yeah, I want you to love her like Christ loved the church. Wash her with the water of the word. Speak the word over her life. Take care of her. Believe in her. Love her like you love your golf game. I mean, like you love yourself. <laughs> love her. Be kind to her. What is love? It's patience, kind. It's not proud, boastful, or rude. It keeps no record of wrong. We're called to love our wife. Wives, you're called to submit to your husbands, to respect your husband. Yes, Jesus knew before he ever sent this message to Paul who your husband was and how he was going to act and how he was going to think and the things he was going to do. And yet he still said, wives, respect that guy. You're called to respect him, to follow him. And here's, here's what I know about God. Yes, these are high standards. But he would never ask us to do something he has not already equipped us to do. He cannot hold, he will not hold us to a standard that we can't meet. He's not a cruel God. He doesn't dangle the carrot. Which tells me this. Husbands, do you believe that you can? Do you believe you can love her as Christ loved the church? Do you believe that you're a patient man? Do you believe that you have self-control? Do you believe that you are kind and you are going to be kind to her? Do you believe that, that, that you carry peace, that you, that you carry that love that she, you, that, that she needs? Do you actually believe you can love her like Christ loved the church? Because God actually believes you can. What do you believe? Wives, do you believe that you're respectful? Do you believe that you can follow that man? Like, what do you believe about yourself? I think one of the greatest things that you can bring to your marriage is that you actually believe that you are a godly spouse despite what your performance says. Hear me today. I'm not saying that your performance doesn't matter in your marriage. It does. But if you want to start living right and being the husband you're, you're called to be, guys, are you listening? It starts with you believing you already are. You got to believe I got this. I'm graced. Did you know this? Did you know this, wives? You are graced to be the wife God has called you to be. Husbands, you are graced by God to be the husband God has called you to be. See, what do you believe about your marriage? What do you believe about yourself? It matters. Point number one today, I'm going to give you five tips to help your marriage. Number one, is this, believe you're a godly spouse. Starts right there. You gotta believe you're a godly spouse. Here's number two, believe you have a godly spouse. I just let that one just sit on right there. You gotta believe you're a godly spouse. Yeah, but you need to believe you have a godly spouse. Now, I remember my, uh, growing up, my dad would always say this phrase over me and my, uh, my younger sister. 
we were a year apart, so he'd always take us to school together. And before we got out of the car, he would always say this phrase, be a leader, not a follower. Anybody have their parents say that to them? Say that to you? <clears throat> be a leader, not a follower. You're a leader. You're a leader. Did you follow today or were you a leader? Be a leader. Well, guess what happened over time? I began to believe that I was a leader. I, we were talking about this the other day with, uh, with our leadership team. I, I honestly feel like I didn't have a choice to be a leader or not. There was just no, there was no option for me. I may not even was supposed to be a leader, but because my dad spoke it over me over and over again, guess what? I became a leader. You know why I became a leader? Because I heard it, and whatever you hear the most, you believe the most. As a husband and as a wife, you need to be your spouse's biggest cheerleader. You need to believe in them more than anyone else believes in them. There is no one that has more influence when it comes to this area of your life than the person sitting next to you. You want to know who you want? I can already tell you. You want to know who you want to believe in you the most? Your spouse. Every person in here, we all need someone to believe the best about us. And no one has more power to believe the best in us and actually affect our life than our husband or our wife. We've got to believe that we have a godly spouse. We have to believe that they're amazing. You know, when it comes to, uh, you know, a book I would suggest is called Love and Respect. Um, it is a really long read, but it's good stuff. <laughs> I haven't read it all, but it's good of what I've read. <clears throat> he talks about this love and respect thing that we just read. And wives, can I, do, can I do, just tell you this? This word submission in here, it, has a bad, it gets a bad rap, and I get it. I've got good news. The verse right before it tells you to submit to your husband, it says we should all submit one to another. We're supposed to submit to each other. It doesn't mean that husbands, we don't respect our wives. It doesn't mean that, that wives, you're not, you're not supposed to love your husband. But I will tell you this, wives, the, the thing that speaks love to your husband the most is respect. It's honor. You know what your husband wants to be? He wants to be your hero. He wants to be the best thing since sliced bread to you. He wants to take off his shirt and you just burst into tears. <laughs> it's just so amazing. You just cry. You don't even know. You're just so taken back. You can't breathe. You're sweating. That's what he wants. Good word. That is a good word. He, wants, he just wants to be the man for you. He wants you to respect the job that he has and the job that he's doing as, a, as the husband, the job that he's doing as the father. Like, you know, you know what the scripture says? It says that you, wives, it wasn't good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. It's not good that man be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Guess who that is? You. You're the perfect help meet for him. And he needs you to build him up. He is not as strong as he puts on. How do I know? Because I am one. We deal with insecurity, not feeling like we're enough. Yeah, should we have our identity completely in Jesus? Absolutely. But guess what? We wouldn't mind your help. Your help means a lot. 
What do you believe? What are you saying about your spouse? I'll let you in on a little something. Whatever you're saying is revealing to you what you really believe. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, you got to change your belief. So that, so that means, so that when your wife, your wife or your husband starts struggling, they hear faith come out of you. In fact, this is point number three, and this is all Natalie's, all Natalie's work right here. Number three, the uh, third point about helping your marriage, be strong for your spouse. You have to be strong for your spouse. You know what that means? It means that when they don't have very much faith, you come alongside them and you give them faith. It means that when your spouse feels weak, you don't get to be. It's your turn to be strong. It means that when your wife or when your husband is complaining and saying things about themselves or their situation, guess what you do? You step up and say, hey, we don't talk like that. You're better than that. When, they, when your spouse starts doubting themselves, don't let them. You have to be strong for your spouse. If your spouse throws their sucker in the dirt, don't walk up beside them and throw yours in the dirt. Stop pouting with your spouse. You can pout for a little bit, but then after that, we have to learn to be strong for our spouse. We have to learn to step up and speak faith when we need to? Am I saying that we're not understanding? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we're cold and we don't realize what's going on in each other's lives. I'm not, no, should we relate? Absolutely, but I will say this. Understanding someone's problem never got them anywhere. I have to understand and then I have to bring truth to it. I have to relate and then I have to bring faith to the situation. Which means if your spouse isn't feeling very courageous, then you better bring some courage. Amen. We have to be strong for our spouse. Speak what we actually believe. Number four, this is a really good one you want, want, uh, to, to help your marriage. You have to understand that you're a team. You are a team. You're a team. You are a team. You are not against one another. You are not in competition with one another. Marriage is a team sport. You either win together or you lose together. Which tells me this. If your spouse is losing, so are you. If your spouse is winning, so are you. Let me, let me break this down into a really, really practical situation. When you are in an argument, your goal is not to win. Your goal is not to beat them. Because if they lose, <laughs> you lose. I was going to say you're a loser, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I found a way to say it. Oh, did you see that? All right. When they lose, in an argument, come on, you know. There's this thing called pride and flesh in every single one of us, and we want to be right. I gave the best advice. I told you this is what we should do. Y'all know what that was? That's no words, but letting them know you were right. You're like, you know what I just said in my head? I told you so. 
It, but marriage is a team sport. The goal in an argument is not to win. You know what the goal is? Truth and agreement. Truth and agreement. One of the best things you can possess as a spouse is humility. Man, it, I'm, 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 I know this is not easy. But guess what? You were made to reign. You want to reign in life? Tap into the favor that God has on your life to be humble. I wrote this one down. I'm going to read it because it, it ministered to me. I'll say it that way. You ready? This is just kind of a little, a little side uh, thing to, to arguing. The more secure you are in your identity in Jesus, the more willing you will be to admit when you're wrong. Because you realize that you being wrong doesn't actually affect your identity. It doesn't affect who you are. You are who God says you are. The more secure you are, the more hidden you are in Jesus, the more willing you will be to admit when you're wrong. That was good enough until the Lord kind of added on to it last night for me. You know what he said? It's not only will you be more willing to admit when you're wrong, you'll get less satisfaction out of being right. Oh, that was way better than I got a response for. The more secure you are in your identity in him, the less satisfaction you'll actually get when you're right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, have to, we have to be humble to realize that we're on a team. And last but not least, this is probably the, the most powerful and probably the most important. Number five, you have to live in agreement. Live in agreement. What does Matthew 18, 19 says? It says, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This is the power that is in agreement. Where two or more. There's nothing greater that you can bring to your marriage than agreement. You're, you have to live in agreement. If something comes in between you and your wife in your agreement, you need to fix it. You got to be in agreement about how you're going to spend your money. You need to be in agreement about how much free time you're both going to have. You need to be in agreement about how you're going to raise your kids. You need to be in agreement about that next big purchase. Every big decision you need to be in agreement on. Guys, hear me today. Do not leave one afternoon and come back home with a new vehicle without talking to your wife. Don't do that. They need to know what you are doing. That's their truck too. Some of y'all didn't believe me. I'm going to try this side. That is their truck too. You are one. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to be one in that way. Sorry, you already made your decision years ago. The moment you left your father and mother and you held fast to your wife, you became one. Wives, be careful on that Target app. Be careful searching on Amazon. Before you hit that one-click purchase and it's coming, have a conversation with your husband. Why? Because you need to be in agreement. It's real, real simple. Ladies, you know what to do if you want anything. 
I'll just leave that one right there. You can get him to agree pretty much anytime you want is what I'm saying. I told you kids, you should have got on out of here. All right. Let me hit you with these, these five one more time and we'll close. Number one, believe you're a godly spouse. Number two, believe you have a godly spouse. Number three, be strong for your spouse. Number four, understand that you're a team. Number five, live in agreement. Live in agreement. This is actually the first time that I've, I've, I've preached on marriage from the platform. I finally felt like I made it. Me and Natalie are celebrating 15 years this week. And um, yeah, so I know there's probably a lot of you out there that are, are smashing that, but um, we are, I felt like we had, we've learned a, a little bit along the way. And um, I, I hope that this helps you. I want you to have a strong marriage. I want you to have a joyful one. I want you to have a fulfilling one. Is this the end all be all to having a good marriage? No. We could talk for the next 10 weeks about it. But this will get you going in the right direction. It'll get you started. Remember today, this series is all about you reigning in life. And it does not start with you going to work, it starts with you receiving. It starts with your believing. Right believing will lead to right living. I need you to hear me today, guys. You being the best spouse ever does not make God love you anymore. He loves you unconditionally. But when you realize that, you'll become the husband you're called to be. When you realize that, you realize, wives, that the favor of God is on you. You'll become the best wife you've ever been because it actually all starts from right here. The Spirit of God living on the inside of you and you believing you got what it takes. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon. 